0: Because I've seen so many knees helped when hands were laid on the knee. Uh, and another thing about this sort of within families and laying on of hands is that, uh, so, and, and praying in families, that somebody may, maybe through praying in a family, somebody may discover a gift which God will in fact later want to use in the, widest, the wider church. I would say in general about laying on of hands. In this sense, I think there could be some reservations that if somebody was very disturbed, well, that might not help. That wouldn't help, perhaps. I mean, if you had a father who was very, very disturbed, it might be better if he didn't actually lay his hands on his children but just prayed. Because the laying on of hands can transmit good things but it can transmit things which aren't so good also. And then some people have, this is another level of who should pray for healing, some people have received gifts of healing according to 1 Corinthians 12. Thank God that he gives gifts of healing to some people, and we should use these gifts of healings, but as you know, as you all know if you've any experience of these things, this can raise certain complications, can't it? Um, And I think we well, has got to say this, nobody is the discerner of their own gifts if somebody thinks God is giving them a gift of healing they should sort of go forward with it they should mention it to the leaders of the prayer group or the vicar or the leader of that sort of Christian group uh, but they've got to abide by the discernment of the right people now we recognise that as quite obvious in other fields about say instance, the gift of music don't we, you know Somebody can't say, I've got the gift of singing, I'm in the choir, finished. (laughs) They have to accept the discernment of others, which can sometimes be very immediate. But the same applies to healing. And another thing is that the gift of healing does need always, like every other gift in the church, to be exercised under submission. Because like every gift, it can go off the rails if it isn't. And indeed, it can probably go off the rails more easily than other gifts. And this can be an important protection for the person who has the gift. And indeed, this is even more necessary for very gifted people. Perhaps it's the most gifted people above all who need to be exercised their ministry under submission. And that can be in varying, for various reasons. I mean, nobody's ministry is perfect. We all need the submission the help of others. And it's particularly important for the most gifted people Anybody who thinks, I mean, God has given me this gift and that's mine and I'm the only one who knows and God speaks to me and that's it and God has said to me, I don't need the rest of you, that's dangerous. Because you see, if God is rarely speaking to me, he will confirm what he says to me through the discernment of the appropriate people. And then you see, that gives you an added assurance. If I go out to minister somewhere just because I'm sure I've got a gift of healing and that's it. Well, I might think, well, perhaps it's just an ego trip, which it might well be. But if I'm going with the blessing of my superiors, the religious superiors, and with the approval of the, of the, you know, with the confirming discernment of the leaders of the prayer group, then I've got a certain sort of confidence that it's not just me, and they can and will correct me when necessary. And this can be very necessary for protecting someone with great gifts of healing. That's why I was in the same way saying it's more important for people who are more gifted. You see. To have heavier, bigger gifts of healing is a big problem because uh, there are millions of sick people around us, and when someone discovers that you know somebody's used to heal, I mean, you know, the telephone st- never stops going. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I knew one priest who had to run off to, to America for three months to get away from the dawn and the telephone. You know, people who you, you find on his answer to the an message, "I'm arriving at 10 o'clock tomorrow with a terminal cancer case." Boom, and you could, I mean, no one to ring back and say he wasn't there. And so you see. If, it's very difficult if somebody's got a gift of healing and you know they come back tired and there's a sort of call from a mother of five children, with terminal cancer, just could you not come tonight? Just one more thing. It's very difficult to say, oh I can't, because I just want I must take some rest and feel like a walk. You see? But if you know under they're under authority, and the people who have the authority say you, after that you will rest, and you don't go out to any more cases, then with a good conscience they can say no. Now But you need humility with the gift of healing like every other gift, and great gifts require great humility, whether it's healing or preaching or anything else. And growing gifts require growing humility. And there's an analogy which comes to my mind. Think of a little yacht with a mast four yards high and a keel two yards deep. And the mast is the gifts and the keel is humility. If you double the mast, the gifts, and you don't increase the keel, the boat capsizes. And if we grow in the gifts, and not in humility, we shall capsize too. And that's every one of us. It's not the other person. That's you and me. So great humility and growing humility is needed. But there also, gifts of healing pose a problem for other people. And... Other people need humility. There can be problems. Why is she called to lay hands on people and not me? Who does she think she is? <laughs> problems of jealousy and envy. You know, sin goes very deep in all of us, in all our communities, in all our prayer groups. I mean, these, you know, I could put 10, 20 names to all these points. <laughs> and I could put a name to myself where well, I'd be one of the names. Well, i have been jealous. That's all of us. I'm worried by the person who says, you know, I never, I never have a problem with jealousy. Never, never. You don't know yourself. No one, There's no one in this world who's perfect. No one ne- never has a problem with jealousy. So it's better to know it. You and I are sometimes jealous. Even if we may be the least jealous person in this room, you and I are sometimes jealous. And that can play its part in our healing ministry. An important thing to say here, too, I think, is that the gifts of healing are not a t- sign of sanctity. Um, that causes a lot of trouble in our church because there's sort of idea, well, you know, normally there aren't healings, but the saints are used to heal. So if he or she starts praying for healing, well, who does she think she is?
1: <laughs>
0: he shouldn't be praying for healing. Gosh, if he you knew about his life. <laughs> And if that person was a saint, they wouldn't think they were a saint, so they certainly wouldn't pray for healing, so nobody would pray for healing. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. That's been a big problem in our church. The saints used to heal, so of course no one else prays for healing. I remember an aged mother superior once saying, well, I wouldn't pray for healing, she was far too humble to pray for healing. Now there's nothing in the New Testament to suggest that greater sanctity is required for the gift of healing than for the gift of administration or teaching or preaching. And we don't say so-and-so shouldn't be allowed to preach because they're not yet a saint. Otherwise, how much preaching would be at our churches. <laughs> and the same for administration. We don't say that, you know, that the man who administrates the parish fund must be a saint. Now, we hope they'll be reasonably honest. And <laughs> you see, for all the gifts, all the gifts, put the gift of healing at the same level with the others, for all the gifts will go wrong if they're not seeking sanctity. And, I, and there's a very real challenge of all of us to exercise, to seek sanctity. The, the involvement in the healing ministry and the gift of healing is a great call to, to seek sanctity. And if we're not seeking sanctity, heaven knows we shall make it, you know, we're bad enough as it is, aren't we? But, but if we're not even seeking it, it's gonna be, things will go astray. But it isn't that we have to wait till we're saints before we can be used to heal people. Another thing is it's obviously good to play in teams, Um, that can also help to avoid focus on the individual, but also because there's a complementarity of gifts. And an important thing for all healing ministry is to try and grow in the gift of discernment. Because to know what to pray for, when to pray for healing, and when to pray that somebody should go to heaven. You know. You know, sometimes, uh, I'm going back a bit, Sometimes the result of praying for healing should be that somebody will die more quickly, and not, not last longer. Yeah. Because sometimes, I mean, you know, somebody is not going to heaven because they have some unfinished business. I and mean, it may be to forgive somebody or to see somebody or to confess something. <coughs> and maybe sometimes our job is to discern, you see, that, you know, to help what that is and to help them to go to heaven more quickly. But In all, in all ministry of healing, you know, we need to sort of grow and pray for the gift of discernment. And it's often good to pray in a team with people, perhaps with, you know, I'm not very gifted in some forms of discernment, in many forms of discernment, and I often like to pray with people, quite quite a lot of the women I pray with are more gifted in that. And they'll just sort of say to me, for instance, they pick up that there's something, say, demonic. Or they pick up that, in fact, the problem is a relationship with the mother. And, you know, they'll sort of give me a sign, and then I pray as they tell me to pray. And it works. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we need, we need sort of, uh, we need teams often, and need to pray for growing discernment. Now, I mean, many of you will know about, which comes into this, the use of the word of knowledge in healing. I mean, God is certainly giving to an increasing number of people these words of knowledge about healing. And I'm not someone who's gifted in that, but I work with quite a lot of people who are, and I have quite a lot of experience of it in different churches. And you know what that means, And the sort of thing there says, God may show one person that, uh, that he's, at this moment, healing or wanting to heal somebody in, in the group, say of a right knee. And uh, I, I, I give an extraordinary example of that, when Ian Andrews, this house church person, came and played with our Westminster prayer group, we had lots of words of knowledge, but I mentioned one particular, he said, God, is he wanting to heal somebody's right knee? Nobody said anything. He came back on it again. Nobody said anything. He came back in the third time. He said, it's over here. He said, I know because I feel it in my knee. And then a man stood up. Now that was an Indian who didn't normally come to the prayer group. And over 20 years before in Kenya, he had a very bad hockey accident. And the knee had become a frightful mess and had repeated operations. And there was ongoing pain, a great deal of ongoing pain and disability. He couldn't use it normally. <coughs> and from that moment, it was totally cured. Now, like God is doing these things with people. And there's a woman in our prayer group in Foster's called Lightning Shaughnessy, and she, she often has this gift, you know, she would sort of exercise this gift, that God is wanting to heal this. Might be it needn't only be about healing. I'll give you an example that actually happened a few months ago, and this was a rather unusual thing. She said, there's somebody in the prayer group, and we were about 130 people, it's a naked prayer group, she said, who's feeling something between their right, uh, you know, that finger and thumb, the right hand, and they're thinking, oh God is wanting them to undertake a task, a job, and they're, they're, they're backing, away, backing away from it, but God wants them to go ahead. That sounds a bit sort of grim, grim, doesn't it? I mean, strange, strange. And uh, ten minutes later, still in the prayer group, a woman said that she had been invited, a Roman Catholic, to become an extraordinary minister of communion. And she said yes to the priest, and she said the whole of the next week, saying, no, no, she wasn't going to it. And she had quite made up her mind that next morning, she was going back to the priest to say she wasn't going to do it. And at that moment, in the prayer group, she was feeling something there, that finger and thumb. Yeah. Well, she changed her mind. <laughs> God really spoke to her. But uh, now, all right, having said that, but you know, in this field, more than any, there's need for humility and testing of gifts. Because, I mean, it can be very dangerous. And we, we shouldn't let people loose on our congregations or prayer groups unless we know something about their ministries. You see, if somebody comes... Uh, you see, it's very important to protect people from, from false use of gifts. You see, somebody comes to a prayer group and gets up, and God is telling me that somebody who wants to send to Africa to the missions. You see, it's you, sir. You said your wife. You know, and then they basically they set up their goods and go out to Africa. I find it was a mistake. <laughs> you know, we've got to protect people in our prayer groups and our parishes from the misuse of these gifts. And if there are a growing number of people using these gifts, there are also people who shouldn't be using these gifts, or think they've got these gifts, or or perhaps of the beginning of these gifts. You know, again, it's not a question of all black or white. There are a great deal of areas of grey in this, in this business. There are many areas of grey, and you've got to protect people. So, uh, Again, one has to, great humility is required. And I've been involved, you know, middle aged clergyman looks respectable, and, you know, I'm involved in of leading healing teams in various situations. And, uh, you know, I've had to say to people who have real gifts, who have this gift, that saying, you know, the exercise on that occasion was not helpful, it was not building up the body, it needed to be exercised more discreetly. Think twice. And I'm talking about people who have the gift, not people who are just imagining. Oh. So i I'm will trying to be as quick as I can. Uh, a word about spiritual warfare. And I'm not going to sort of go into the demonic thing because there's not time, but I would just say this. We are all involved in spiritual warfare. We are all therefore involved in dealing with the flaming darts of the evil one, which according to Ephesians 6, are sent against us all. So, when we say the Our Father, we say the deliverance from evil, or the evil one, as it was understood in the early church. So we're all praying for deliverance. So it's not a matter of, you know, just a very few people. In one sense, we're all praying for deliverance. And an Anglican priest gave me the analogy which I find most helpful there, John Richards. If you think of the demonic as a long, thin wedge, but at this, this end, you've got Satanism and all the awful things, possession and so on. But at the thin end of the wedge, you've got the sort of att- attacks of the enemy, in spiritual warfare to which we're all subject, and <coughs> which we pray about when we say, but deliver us from evil. And I don't think there's any sort of a total dividing line in that thin wedge. It just increases. Now, so we're all involved in this. We're all involved in spiritual warfare. We're all involved in, one way or another, playing for deliverance. But when it gets to that thick end, it can be dangerous. And people do need to be warned. And it shouldn't be, under, be undertaken by people who haven't experienced or aren't commissioned. I mean, some I mean, if you start playing over somebody who's been involved in Satanism or other strange things, things can go disastrously wrong. As we remember from the Barnsley case a few years ago, uh, the person who was killed in the neighbouring borough to us in London, in Edmonton, our borough in fact, uh, you know, a few years ago too, things can go wrong and disasters go wrong, and of course that can discredit the whole ministry altogether. And it not only can go wrong to the, the people you pray with, but people who pray themselves can, you know, things they can run into difficulties too. So there's a warning about not going ahead too quickly. But I think here there are sort of two atti- three attitudes, two of which are right and one is wrong and one is right. I mean, those who are wrong, first of all, those who say there is no devil, demythologize it, or those who even if they admit theoretically there's a devil in practice uh, blame, put everything down to psychology and sociology and the human level. They never see in fact that he's involved in this or that situation and the devil is very happy in those situations because he goes on working unobserved. The other attitude is the demonitis seeing devils everywhere talking about devils, you can't drop a cup but it was a demon <laughs> and a thing I would want to warn people very much about is not exaggerating the field of the demonic. And I'm worried about this. I think there are some people who are saying, classing certain things as demonic, which I don't think we've any reason to class as demonic. Uh, I'll just mention it quickly. but you see, for instance, uh, I think we've met, some people are saying, all yoga is demonic, all acupuncture is demonic, all jiu-jitsu is demonic. Water dousing is all demonic and I mean, I don't believe that's true. I think that some yoga can be dangerous and open people up to the demonic. But I don't think all yoga is demonic. I heard our own Cardinal Hume saying in the talk on prayer not long ago that yoga breathing exercises can sometimes help prayer. But if we try to sort of do a deliverance ministry on people who've been doing yoga exercises for breathing, for prayer, which the Cardinal recommends, <laughs>
1: <laughs> there are problems. And
0: people are going to think. And also, I mean, some of the best hospitals now, you know, I mean, uh, they would recommend acupuncture for, say, a serious operation on an old person who can't take an anesthetic. And I think to say, oh no, I can't do that, it's demonic, I think is disastrously wrong. I'm not saying that any of these things can't have grey or dangerous areas, they can. But the class of the lot as demonic, I think, is a great mistake and can put. People against the charismatic renewal. And I think the danger, perhaps, is this. You see, I think for some Christians, it's all, you know, people who know things which they don't know through ordinary means. I mean, it's either consciously of the Holy Spirit or it's of the devil. And I think they're mistaken. I think there are three things. I think it can be consciously of the Holy Spirit. I think it can be from the human mind. I think, you know, just somebody's a bit telepathic. It's psychic sometimes. It's not necessarily demonic. Or it can be of the devil. And if somebody is perhaps a bit telepathic, I don't think that's something to be renounced and cast out. I think it's something to be dedicated to God. If they've been involved in the occult, then it is to renounce and cast out. But, I mean, but, but it's something to be dedicated to God. But I think it's, it's a, wrong. If anything telepathic, we just put down to of the devil. But of course, needless to say, I am, and you are, unhappy about spiritualist healers. Spiritualism is condemned by the Bible, by the tradition of the church, and that's what sort of can be dangerous. Pray for your own healing. Need I say that? But for Roman Catholics, there's often a problem there. Somehow they think it's selfish to pray for their own healing. It could be more noble to bear the cross of sickness which Jesus gave them. That's how they would see it. But in fact, we should start by praying for your own healing. We have a moral obligation to try to be well. We know that. And it's no more selfish to pray for your healing than it is to go to the doctor. So pray for your own healing. And of course, on, most healing is gradual and we need a great deal of ongoing prayer and soaking prayer. And not give up too easily. I know a case of a nun, which I and several other people, a nun whose hearing had gone bad, pretty bad in one ear, but altogether pretty low. And some of us had prayed for 10 years, and she'd prayed for 10 years, and there was no improvement. And now some just prayed, and, uh, and there's a very considerable improvement. So persevering in prayer may also be required. And the last thing I'd say is that, you know, healing, the healing ministry, is a challenge to the whole community. Whether it's the parish, or the prayer group, or religious community, it's, it's not just something for a few gifted people. It's a challenge to the whole community. Healings happen where there are loving, believing, praying, perhaps fasting communities. It should be seen as something of the whole community. And the gifts are given to people as members of the community, not as individuals running about by themselves. So if healings aren't happening in our parishes and communities, then we need to pray about that as a whole community. If if there aren't people in your parish or community who have got gifts of healing, ask God to raise up people with gifts of healing in your parishes and in your communities. And I think that what God is wanting to do above all today is not to have a few superstars going about healing. Although I'm sure, sure he wants to give some people very great gifts of healing, I'm sure of that. But above all what I think, he wants to raise up in every Christian community people with gifts of healing. Every Christian community, I would regard it as normal that in a parish like our own, where we get a1,000 people for mass on a Sunday, that there might be at least, say, a dozen people with accredited ministries of healing, recognized ministries of healing. I mean I think that's what I've seen so many people come into a gift of healing, I don't say great gifts, in these last 10 years, who never dreamt they could be used to heal. that I'm sure God is above all wanting to raise up lots of new ministries of healing. Not just to go to a few very special people here or there. Not primarily that. And today, this afternoon, we shall pray for the healing of the sick. But you know, the prayer which will be more on my heart, even more than that, will be that God will raise up new ministers of healing among you. And I'm more concerned about spreading the healing ministry. That will be my, the, 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 the prayer closest to my heart today. That God will raise up and strengthen new ministers of healing among you, because I'm sure that's what he's wanting to do in all our Christian communities. If in a parish or a prayer group there's no people with gifts or ministries of healing, then there's something subnormal about that parish or prayer group. And if that's in your parish or prayer group, then pray that God raise up people with these gifts, these ministries. And it's a call to the whole community. Now, praise the Lord for what he's doing. Sorry. In case, a very necessary thing is to get the watch off when I can see it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for inviting me to come here and be with you. Before I start, I think I would like a little prayer that the Lord may not go on too long, but I might say what he wants and, uh, you know, the Lord may open people's minds in the earth, That's right, yes.
1: You could, could, perhaps you could say to Blessed Father, we praise you for our sonship and for our brotherhood and we thank you for the way in which you watch over us and guide the days of our lives and so we thank you for this day and for bringing Don Benedict safely to spend this day with us And so as we open ourselves to you for this session, we humbly pray that by this laying on of our hands you would anoint him afresh with your Holy Spirit to speak to us those words of comfort, encouragement, exhortation, rebuke, and healing that will be good for our souls. Pray that you'd give him exactly the right words to say, that they may be your words, and that as we hear them, so you would inscribe them on our hearts and interpret them to us. So, Father, we pray that, for Jesus' sake, your anointing may be on this session and your Spirit may move us to give glory to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: And I should introduce to actually my colleague, Mrs. Pat Briscom, who, who kindly got me here in time, which is always <laughs> dicey,
1: <laughs>
0: and who's going to help me with uh, the praying and the inner healing this afternoon. Well, I've been in involved in the charismatic renewal now for about 11 years, and uh, I suppose for about 10 I've been involved in the healing ministry of prayer, which is my the subject of my talk this morning. And I have in the first place been the object of the Lord's healing touch. Uh, I'll give you one very obvious example of his healing touch on me. My, the cartilage in my right knee went about nine years ago. And uh, I, mean I had to go to the specialist in the hospital. The prayer group had prayed over me before. And then I was taken to the hospital and I saw the specialist. And he said, well, that would mean an operation. I was x-rayed. Uh, He looked at the x-rays and said, we'll have to have an operation, and the date of the operation was fixed. And I was limping, and I could only walk down the stairs by putting the right foot first. And I went to Colin Urquhart's church in once and uh, he and an Anglican lady prayed over me for inner healing, and they added a prayer for the knee. And I limped into that church, and then when he prayed briefly, I sort of flexed the knee and I thought that seems a bit different. And as the three of us began to walk out, I thought, well, I don't seem to be limping in the same way. And I just said to myself, when I get to the door, it was the door between the church and the vicarage, there was a sort of pathway, I'm going to run, which I did. When I came back, I walked up and down the stairs normally for the first time since the cartilage had gone. I could walk down normally. When I went for my physiotherapy at the hospital the next day the woman who was always sort of cursing me for limping, you know, don't limp like that, you see. I mean, she was astounded as she saw me walking in without the limp. And a week before I was due to her- going for the operation, I saw the sister who'd been with the-, the specialist when he'd fixed the operation, who happened to be one of our parishioners, and I said, well, I'm due, in, I believe next Thursday for the operation. She said, yes, your bed's reserved. And no one was about in the corridor, so I said, sister, well, things seem a bit different now, and I gave a demonstration run, quite a respectable <laughs> one.
1: LAUGHTER And she sent me
0: home and told me not to bother. And uh, I've never had to consult a doctor about my right knee since. Incidentally, what they wrote back to my local doctor was, the patient had discontinued treatment. (laughs) 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 Uh, I think now, looking back on it now, I think I would have wanted another X-ray and to make the surgeon examine it. For witness to the Lord. But, uh, now, that is not the most important physical healing I've received. Healing on the left ankle has been more important because I don't think surgery could have dealt with that. In fact, it couldn't have. Uh, there's a more dramatic story, the one I told. And the most important healing I have received is certainly not physical healing, but healing of fears and anxieties, etc. So I'm someone who owes a lot to the Lord through what he's done in the healing ministry, through the healing ministry. Well, the first thing obviously to note is that Jesus healed. Nearly one-fifth of the four Gospels is taken up with accounts of his healings, and uh, I think it would be good to start by reading the Word of God, and I'll read from Matthew 8. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and served him. That evening they brought, him to many, they brought to him many who were possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick. This was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our infirmities and bore our diseases. And Jesus healed people because he loved them and because he had compassion on them, but it was also a sign of who he was, the unique Son of God. And we read in John chapter 10, verse 25, The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. And the works were mainly healing. Jesus not only went about healing people himself, but he told his followers to do the same in his name. And from Luke chapter 9, verse 1, and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal. And at the very end of Matthew's gospel, we've got, you know, it says, of, th- "Of those who believe, they will lay their hands on." Mark's gospel, sorry, those who believe, they will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. What Jesus said would happen. And it's, it can be very good sometimes to reread the Acts of the Apostles, particularly the first nine chapters or so, to see what a vital and key part the healings played in the spread of the gospel. I mean, think of you know the man born lame. Peter and John go to the temple. The man is healed. He's dancing around them. The Jews gather round. Uh, they want to understand how it's happened. Peter preaches his sermon and there are thousands of baptized. Now, humanly speaking, no physical miracle, nobody interested to hear what Peter and God and doctors say, no sermon, and nobody converted. And supposing the man born lame and had a perfect inner healing, there's no reason to believe that, apart from himself, perhaps there would only have been any converts. And so you see, physical healing there, and in so many places, played a very important part in in the the spread of the Christian gospel. And we read at the end of Mark, And they went forth and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by the signs that attended it, Amen. And the signs were mainly healings, And we should never separate the, the healing ministry, the Christian healing ministry of prayer, and the proclamation of the word. They go together, You know, we need to always remember that. The the word needs to be preached, and then we seek confirmation with the signs which follow. Now, I think the renewal of the healing ministry in the church is something of great importance for the proclamation of the word today and the crisis of faith which we have in all our churches. There is a crisis of faith. To ask modern man, a modern educated person, to believe that here was a man, Jesus, who had no human father, whose body was put in the grave and he was dead and it just disappeared, who in fact isn't just an ordinary human being, even the greatest of human beings, but is the unique son of God, to ask a modern man to believe that, you know, is asking something. And... uh, You know, even in the early days, in the times of the Apostles, they weren't all that gullible. And you see, there needs to be the signs to believe. You know, people are not going to believe, and why should they, unless they see some signs to vindicate these extraordinary claims which we make for Jesus. Now, the two signs in the the New Testament were, one, the love of the Christian community for each other, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples by the love you have for each other. And the other is the miracles which are mainly healing. And you see, people are not going to believe today if there aren't signs. And you know, very often we think, well, you know, if we study more, if we get the right intellectual approach, you see, then, then we should know how to present the gospel and our church will become full again. Well, I mean, I'm not anti-intellectual. I mean, thank God I studied in Louvain, and thank God I studied under some of the greatest Roman Catholic theologians of our age. But nevertheless, it's interesting to note that the churches which are spreading most quickly in the world today are the churches probably with the least learned clergy. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'm not suggesting, therefore, that we should not study as clergy. I think we should. I mean, God also gave us brains, and Jesus is Lord of the intellectual side of life, too. But there is so perhaps something for us to think about. And I think on the whole, why modern man doesn't believe is not because we're not learned enough in presenting the gospel, but because they don't see the signs confirming the word. So I think this is absolutely vital to, to Christian belief and the spread of the gospel today. And I read this text from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And do we Christians of today think of ourselves as filled with power? Do we think of the churches? Do we think of this assembly as a sort of great center of power? Now, we don't want temporal power. There's been far too much temporal power often in the past history of the church, but this spiritual power which Jesus promised. And I think sometimes we have a wrong sort of humility. Oh, no, I mean, I'm just an ordinary Christian, we filled with power, that's against humility. On the contrary, we are all called to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's normal Christianity. And one of the great, perhaps, criticisms of all our churches is that the power of the Lord is not sufficiently visible. Where are the signs? And, uh, well, so that, that's why the renewal of the healing ministry is, uh, is a very important to the spread of the gospel, and it's, it should be one, one of the main channels of the expression of the power of the Spirit through us, through you, through me. So that's one of the points I want to stress. Never separate the proclamation of the word... And the healing of the sick, they go together. The next thing I want to say is, of course, that when we pray for healing, we should pray for the healing of spirit and mind and body and never the healing of the body alone. Even if in some cases you might have to pray silently for the healing of the spirit and mind. But, I mean, they go together because man is a, a unity, a wholeness of spirit, mind and body, and spirit, mind, and body all sort of reflect on each other, and they're interconnected, and we're seeking the wholeness of of the the full man, the complete man. We're, We're seeking total wholeness. And the most important healing, of course, is always spiritual healing, and we all need further spiritual healing. That's very important. And if we were to stress, above all, physical healing, we would, in fact, I think, receive less, physical healing, because we shall be outside God's order. You know, the the deeper conversion to which we're all called, which is spiritual healing, I mean, this is something more important than the physical healing. But But when we lay in the right way the stress on spiritual healing, we shall get more physical healing, because as we know, healing often flows, you know, from the spirit onto the body. An obvious point, but I'd like to say it and get it out of the way, is that we should never oppose, you know, healing through doctors and medicine and healing through prayer. God also, Jesus also heals through doctors and through medicines, And then God is at work there also. And uh, we should pray for doctors, pray for treatment, Pray that, the treatment which, that we may receive the treatment or medicine, if any, which God wants us to receive. Pray that the, the, the treatment and medicine may be effective, God's work of healing. Pray for the healing of harmful side effects. I think, you know, before people take pills, I think it should all be sort of grace before meals with pills. You know. <laughs> that they work, that they may be God's instrument of healing, and also about the side effects. But having said that, I mean, I think that, you know, we are worried and rightly worried by this sort of pill culture we live in. There's something really horrifying about it. And indeed, a great many doctors are very horrified about it. And many doctors, you know, swoon out pills because they don't know what else to do, and they've only got five minutes to see the person in any case. And so, in fact, it's bad medicine a great deal of this pill work. And I'm sure that, you know, that if we started praying more for healing, there'd be far less need to go into pills and do and surgery. Um, some Christians rather have the line, but well, the normal way to get well is to take pills and see doctors. And when that doesn't work, you can return to prayer. <laughs> and I think that's wrong. I think we should normally start by prayer. If it's an emergency, if you break your arm, pray in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. I mean, don't delay necessary treatment in some cases. But I mean, uh, And I'm sure that if people rarely turn to prayer first, there would be far less need to take pills and see doctors altogether. You know, I, I won't develop that point, but I think it's time the National Health Service gave us a subsidy, incidentally.
1: <laughs> <laughs> because,
0: because I'm sure we are saving them money and we call to save a lot they uh, so call to save them a lot more money. And I might say that although I'm sixty three and rattle you know, the taxi rattles in quite a lot of places in my body, I very rarely need to see doctors because kind of people play with me and somehow I don't need to see the doctor. Now, I want to raise the question, why people are not healed? And I'm thinking particularly physical healing here, you know, when we pray for them. It may be lack of faith. It may be lack of faith on the part of the sick person. But well, that's certainly not always so. Sometimes Jesus heals people with no faith at all so, so they might come to faith. But in some particular cases, he may be waiting for that person to grow in faith. It may be lack of faith on the part of the Christian community, those of us who pray for healing. Maybe our faith is so weak. You know, If our faith was stronger in our prayer meetings in our parishes, I'm sure there'd be far more healings. So what are we to do about that? And you know, in the New Testament, there are these rather embarrassing texts, which most of us turn over rather quickly, about mountain-moving faith. If you've got faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move yonder and it will move. And, you know, doing even greater things than Jesus did. Most of us turn these things over rather quickly, don't they? Because they correspond to nothing in our experience. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, and yet, one meets a number of Christians, and I don't mean just a few saints here and there, one meets quite a number of Christians who are regularly seeing mountains moved through prayer. Mountains of sin, conversions, mountains of sickness, mountains of financial need, mountains in marriage breakups or something. You know, you meet a certain number of Christians who are regularly seeing mountains moved. I don't say every mountain they want to see moved. Every mountain they try to move. But you know, they are seeing quite a lot of mountains moved, and so many Christians... So many of us see no mountains moved or or just little molehills. What are we to do about this lack of faith? I think we need to repent of our sin of lack of faith. I never met anybody who doesn't at times, and never will, who doesn't at times need to repent of the sin of lack of faith. You know, think how often Jesus rebukes his disciples. Oh, men of little faith. And how often is he saying that to us? So what do we need to do about it? Repent of the sin of lack of faith and ask for ourselves and for our prayer groups and our churches, ask for the gift of greater faith, ask for the gift of mountain-moving faith. And if we did that, I'm sure we should see more mountains of sickness moved in answer to prayer. Now, Roman Catholics often have a difficulty here. I don't think Anglicans so much at all in this sort of way. They say, oh, but Father, I've got no problem with the faith. I accept all the faith." Against faith in me, <laughs> I sign on the dotted line.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but you see, I'm not saying the sort of creedal expression of faith isn't important, but when Jesus was talking about rebuking his you know, disciples for their lack of faith, he wasn't saying, you know, you didn't sign on the line. I mean, he said, trusting a person and his promises. And that's where we all fail it so often. Right, repent of lack of faith and ask for the gift of greater faith. The next point is very often our lack of love, our lack of prayer, and perhaps our lack of fasting. And uh, I'll tell you a story of a Harley Street specialist, this is true, who belongs to a charismatic ecumenical community, <laughs> who a few years ago had a heart attack, which, and, and he had to have open heart surgery, and the situation was dicey. And in fact, he had the surgery and was able to return to his work. I'm not telling you that as a story of a healing miracle. But because that charismatic community of which he was a member, of which were about 70, I think, members in London at that time, mounted prayer for him round the clock for a week. Night and day, during the whole of that week, somebody was praying for him. There's love. There's sacrifice. And when we say in our parishes and our that we would pray for somebody... Well, how, yes, how much praying do we do? And maybe sometimes people aren't here because lack of prayer and because, you know, we don't love enough to, to put in more time in prayer. And maybe connected with that lack of fasting. Now, I'm certainly one of the weaker brethren when it comes to fasting, but there's no doubt that, you know, fasting does often make a difference. Sometimes people are not here because of their the lack of love on the part of the person who's seeking the healing, failure to forgive, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, envy, all these things, and particularly in experience, experience seems to show that lack of forgiveness is important. And very often people people have got these deep, hidden bitternesses, resentments, right underneath. And if they're aware of it, it's easier. I remember speaking to a priest who came to me for healing, a Roman Catholic priest, I said, well, have you anybody who you haven't forgiven? He said, yes, I haven't forgiven my father. Well, I mean, you know where you are then. have got something to work on. When they say, pass him, no, no, father, I have no problem about forgiveness at all. And underneath, they're furious with their mother.
1: <laughs>
0: you know, for having not had enough milk or something, you know. Uh, you're dealing with a more difficult problem. But very often, underneath, there's an important problem of lack of forgiveness. And of course, there can be also lack of forgiveness of self. And there can also be lack of forgiveness in another sense of the word, with inverted commas, of God. People can be very angry with God for having allowed this or that to happen. And still, we find so often that when, particularly something like arthritis, I think it applies to cancer very clearly too, sometimes when the bitterness or resentment, the unforgiveness is healed, the physical healing follows. these things cause illness, as we all know, and when they're, they're healed, very often the physical healing will follow. Another reason why people are sometimes not healed is the need for a change in lifestyle. If somebody's smoking 40 cigarettes a day, it's no good playing for the miracles on the bronchitis uh, and doing nothing about the addiction to nicotine. The same could apply to the liver and the bottle of whiskey a day. The same applies to people who are eating the wrong things. I do think that's important. I mean, a lot of people are, are, have a very unsound diet. And you know, Jesus will often want to heal our lifestyle before he heals the sickness which that wrong lifestyle is causing. Same applies to workaholics. Some people are sort of overworking. they can't stop overworking. And Jesus may want to heal that. Maybe again, people who don't take enough exercise or sleep. I had the very good fortune to go last summer to America for a month to a, a monastery in our congregation. I' been, in, been in a monastery in Pecos, where there are two communities, the women oblates and the monks, and they're all involved in the charismatic renewal. And it's a great healing center, and they get thousands of people going from America and elsewhere each year. A remarkable experience. And that monastery combined three things in an extraordinary way. Incredibly deep spirituality. At all our liturgical services and offices during the whole month, they were singing, everyone was singing in the spirit and things. Great, great life of prayer, but I mustn't go on about that. They also were involved in depth psychology, particularly the Jungian school, but they were also concerned very much about holistic health. And we were very much on the sort of diet reform thing there. The Americans found it difficult to have so little ice cream. (laughs) 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 And uh, also jogging and physical exercise. And uh, I I think we, you know, to go on praying for miracles when we're not taking, you know, the sound Christian common sense line about a healthy life, you know, is, doesn't really add up all this. So I think we need to be concerned about healing health styles, lifestyles too. And here's another point where I think people are sometimes not healed. Because Jesus may have a purpose of redemptive suffering for a time or more than a time. And I'll read these words from Colossians chapter 1. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. I think that that can apply also to our physical illnesses and sufferings for a time or more than a time. And uh, I think this is very important, and I know that not everybody in the Christian Healing Ministry would agree with me on this point, would they? But I think it's very important, actually. Um, maybe this is something which could come up in questions. But you see, in all our churches, in all our traditions, with the people with the most gifted ministry you can think of, Catherine, Kuhlman, take who you like, the great majority of what are medically terminal cases die. you got to face it. And if you just sort of take the line, Jesus always wants to heal in this life, well, then that majority of people who are not healed, what are they going to be left feeling and thinking? And I personally never like taking a healing service anywhere without talking about redemptive suffering. Because I feel you have to say something and pray something to the people who Jesus doesn't heal in that way. If a young woman with four young children and with terminal cancer says to me, would you pray for the healing of my cancer? I say, yes. Would you pray for a miracle? I say, yes. If she say, does Jesus want to heal me of this cancer in this life? Unless I had a word of knowledge, I would have to say, I don't know. But I'll pray for a miracle. But if you take the line which some people take, you see that Jesus, just as he always wants to save you through his cross and resurrection, so you, you know, he wants to heal you through his life. You know, it's just, if you put them on the same level, which I wouldn't, well, then when the person is not healed, and that's the majority of people you're ministering to in serious cases, what are they going to think? Jesus wants to heal me. I've been told that, but I'm not healed. So that can produce a problem. And then they say, can say, well, perhaps I'm not healed because I'm unworthy because of my lack of faith. Or perhaps they can even lose faith altogether in Jesus. You know, they said Jesus wants to heal me. He's not healing me. Well, to blazes with Jesus. So, you see, sometimes our job to minister to people is to minister to the dying. And the fact that we believe in praying for healing and the healing ministry doesn't mean that nobody's going to have to minister to the dying anymore, including those who aren't all that aged. So, you see, I think we have to point out to people that, I mean, sometimes I think Jesus is calling someone, you know, to a time of suffering through physical illness, through emotional illness, and maybe God is calling someone to heaven. I mean, somebody may not be healed sometimes because Jesus is calling them to heaven, which is the only perfect healing for anybody. And you see, if we take the line, Jesus always wants to heal, we may be praying over, sort of, you know, praying to the last moment on someone for miracles of healing of cancer, and what we should be doing is preparing somebody to go to heaven. And that's pastorally a, a great mistake. So I'm not happy about the people who take the line, Jesus always wants to heal in this life. I mean, you, I mean do you know that wonderful anglican piece, David Watson? You know, I don't think anything went wrong. I don't think Jesus wanted David to go on and live for another 30 years. I think Jesus David had been used to do far more than most of us would do in any case in this life. He'd done wonderful work for the building up of the kingdom. I think it was time to go home for his heavenly reward. And otherwise you might say, but well, if only we'd fasted a bit more, if only we'd had more faith, if only we'd been more loving community. No. And I think you get into, I think, pastorally irresponsible situations if you always take the line, Jesus wants to heal in this life. You know, I think that the line of sort of redemptive suffering and acceptance and heaven is our home and, you know, seeking healing and trusting Jesus. I, mean, I think we've got... To to harmonize those two. Not just to opt for one or the other. Now in our church on the whole, we've we've opted far too much for, you know, somebody's sick, ah, Jesus sent you that cross of sickness. And that's wrong too. We should normally start by praying for healing. That's right, we should always start by praying for healing, I think. And I'm sure if we do that, there will be far more healings. You know, there are many people in our church who are going about saying that they're bearing a cross of sickness which Jesus has given them, When in fact Jesus hasn't given them that cross of sickness at all, he would like to heal that cross, that sickness, so that they can bear other crosses for building up of his kingdom. But nevertheless, having said that, there are some people who I think Jesus does want to bear a cross of sickness for a time or more than a time. And I think an important part of the Christian gospel is that our sufferings can be fruitful. It's wonderfully good news. The most appalling suffering may hit anybody in this room in ten minutes' time, and if that suffering is fruitless and meaningless, well then that really is something very terrible, isn't it? You know, the, the, you know we, we shouldn't belittle what it can be, either, you know, the agonies of suffering humans can go through in this life. If it is totally meaningless and fruitless, that's a terrible thing. But if, through the mercy and grace of Jesus, that suffering can be wonderfully fruitful for ourselves and others, that is a wonderful blessing and grace. A word about praying for older people. How are we to pray for older people? Well, we should pray, I think, for healing of older people, including physical things, but with discernment. And I think sometimes, well, when we're praying for older people, we're not praying that a man of 80, you know, gets again the eyes and the ears and the heart of a young man of 18. I mean, God doesn't normally want to do that. But uh, nevertheless, uh, It's important to pray because I think prayer for healing for older people can slow down the rate of decay, so to speak, the rate of deterioration, and it can be a very important answer to prayer, physical healing, when you know you slow down the rate of blindness, deafness, the ability to walk. That can be very worthwhile, even if you never see actually jumping forward. Even if you slow down the rate of deterioration, that can be a great blessing. But I'd like to tell you about the case of my own beloved father who died in the rightness of years, a good Christian, at the age of 93, last November. My mother's now 92. (laughs) And uh, he'd had glaucoma for about 20 years or more, and then later cataract of both eyes, and he was too old to operate. And for years I'd been praying, because when they lived near me, until the last years of their life, when they were near, I used to pray each week over his eyes, and they never, they weren't improving, but what was surprising the specialist was that his eyes got worse so slowly. Well, thank God, when he, I mean, he was not blind when he died. He couldn't read easily, but I mean, you know, he, he wasn't blind at 93. And the specialist was, su- was surprised that his eyes, uh, his eyes, you know, were masking <coughs> out as well as they were. But nevertheless, a another surprising thing happened when he was about 91. Uh, his eyes, after prayer, suddenly did a leap forward. My sister prays for him, too. was living with my sister. And uh, he saw the specialist, and the specialist said, your eyes have improved. And then he said, the next time, the next three months, your eyes are much better. And the specialist couldn't understand. And in fact, after that, he only had to see the specialist every six months instead of every three. Well, you see, normally you'd have written off a man of 91 with cataracts cataract in both eyes and glaucoma over 20 years. You'd say, well, inevitably there won't be an improvement. But in fact, although I was probably just praying that it was, you know, to save the decline, in fact there was a jump forward. So don't rule out extraordinary miracles on your granddads, etc., at 92. And we're right to pray for these things, but it can be immensely worthwhile if there's never actually an improvement. But the rate of deterioration is... Uh, is reduced. Now, I think an important thing, and I'm getting worried about the clock, uh, I think an important thing uh, in the Christian healing ministry of prayer should be the place of the sacraments. And I think this is, you know, perhaps where you would have a special contribution to make, as I think our own church would. Because we know some churches in the Christian world, you know, are less sort of concerned about sacraments. And I'd like to read here from James chapter (coughs) 5. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And I think, therefore, in, in, in following that text, which is the sort of biblical basis for us of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, I think most Christian churches, uh, you know, do anoint people with oil for healing. At least they should, obviously, because it's so clearly biblical. There's also reference to it, isn't there? I think in Mark's gospel. So said the disciples went about also anointing people with oil for healing. And I think we should make much greater use than we do in many of our churches of this sort of anointing with oil. Now, you know there has been sort of change in the Roman Catholic Church, don't you? I mean, until the last Vatican Council, uh, you know, this, the healing anointing with oil was called extreme unction and was only given to people when there was no chance being healed. And in fact, it rarely talks about the things which go wrong in the history of the church. Uh, you know, sometimes they would, don't call the priest because then the man will be flying because he knows he's dying, you
1: see. <laughs>
0: Very often they would say, but don't, don't, don't call the priest because that will frighten him, you see. And, and you know, for many people, the idea of calling the priest, you then rang up the undertaker. They went together. Well, you know, the, the last Vatican Council has changed that, thank God. It is no longer called extreme unction. You know, it, there, the, 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 with extreme unction, the main purpose of the sacrament was seen as you know, helping somebody in that last journey to heaven. And it, it was admitted that occasion, in fact, they came round again in this life. But the main thing was seen as getting to heaven. And uh, now, I mean, the main purpose is restored to the healing of the sick. And it's called the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. But I'm sure in our church, we don't give it still, we don't give it easily enough. I don't think, uh, first of all, I mean, our changed discipline, I think, isn't large enough. And uh, secondly, many people don't live up to the changed discipline. And then there's a problem of lack of priests. And uh, here I think you may have an opportunity, a greater opportunity than we have. Now, one way we're overcoming our difficulty uh, is by using quite a lot the, the sacramental of blessed olive oil. There is in the Roman ritual a blessing of olive oil, you know, for healing of the sick, which lay people can also use. You can anoint yourself, or you can anoint other people. And um, I always carry with me on that, that bottle of anointed oil, and in a minute, lay people do too. But in fact, I, I'm, I think that's probably what we're doing is the second best, and perhaps you can go for a, a really best, so to speak. <laughs> uh, you see, in the early church, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick was not reserved to the clergy. And I would like to see a state of affairs again in which many good lay people involved in the healing ministry could anoint others for the sacrament of anointing of the sick. I mean, there's the problem of lack of clergy. There's the problem also that, you know, the clergy may not not be there. A lay person with the healing ministry, I mean, it would be a great blessing if they could at the same time give the anointing of the sick, as they could have in the early church. So, I mean, maybe your discipline will, will be larger there. Maybe you could pioneer that. Maybe you could go ahead and advance there. But I think it, whether you do it in the form of a, 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 what you, a sacrament or sacramental, I think we should encourage a great deal this you know, great, great use of oil. And, uh, for instance, of our day of renewal in Westminster, once a month, uh, you know, I just bless bottles of oil which people bring, and they take them away. And, you know, they can anoint themselves. I encourage sick people. I say, sometimes if a sick person's got a uh, you know, bad knee, I give them a bottle of blessed oil and they'll put some on your knee each day and pray. Or, you know, do it for your husband. And uh, I think we should encourage much greater use of oil. I give people a of bottles of oil. I think we should do that. Now, what form that would take with you, I don't know, but I think we should make much greater use of olive oil there, blessed, you know, in, for the healing of the sick. Then the, the sacrament of, uh, you know, the, the, the sacrament of uh, confession, sacrament of reconciliation is also a healing sacrament, but I haven't time to develop that now. And I think we should make full use of the Eucharist as a healing sacrament. You know, I think a privileged moment for praying for, for, for healing is after communion. And after all, we receive our Lord in communion, and it's the same Lord who went about healing people, and we should encourage people to have an expectant faith at that moment. And where I think we fail in our church so often is that we don't encourage people to have an expectant faith. You know, the idea to the ordinary Roman Catholic they might receive a physical healing when they went to communion never began to occur to them. <laughs> uh, and you see, they would just think of communion as, you know, concerned with spiritual healing. So I tell you, say to people, when you go to communion, ask for the healing, strengthening, protecting of spirit, mind, and body. Healing, strengthening, and protecting of spirit, mind, and body. And I think we should encourage that a great deal. Who should pray for healing? On one level, the whole Christian community should pray for healing. We need to encourage a great deal more of general prayer for healing in our parishes, in our prayer groups. get the whole Christian community behind it. You know, something towards that volume of prayer which I mentioned for that Harman Street specialist. Then another level is for the elders of the church. That may seem to... Certainly for us at the moment, it says in James 5 it's the elders of the church there, isn't it? So there is some sort of eldership, whether it's the fact that you brought lay people into that eldership when they anoint the sick. Um... a third level is within families, and I think we need to encourage much more praying for healing within families. You know, husbands and wives should pray over each other for healing, pray for their families, pray for your neighbour, pray for your friend. God will often give someone a special gift for healing for another member of their family or someone close to them when he doesn't want to use them in a wider healing ministry. I know the Lim brothers in America when they're making up a team of people to pray with a sick person, they like to have, you know, a member of the family who's close to them, like their husband or wife or father. Not because that person has an experienced healing ministry, but because that person has a special love for them. And because of this special love relationship, well then God will sometimes give them a special gift to make them a special channel of healing. And you know, I, I tell you a beautiful example of that. There was a layman near us who, involved in the Charismatic Renewal, a Roman Catholic, who wouldn't regard himself as having a healing ministry, not someone who sort of at prayer groups prayed over people for healing. And his wife had had for decades awful attacks of migraine. And healing teams had prayed over her, and people with very special ministries and gifts had prayed over her. And, you know, there was no real improvement. But when he started laying his hands on her head, each day, briefly, at the beginning of the day, with a short prayer, the migraine went. I think God will sometimes use someone who's closer. So we need to encourage that very much in our families. And uh, it should normally be accompanied, you know, with the laying on of hands, but, and normally on the part of the body, as far as you can, where the part of the body is sick, it doesn't necessarily have to be next to the skin. If it's on the shoulder, you just put it there. Take overcoats off, but take jackets off, but it doesn't have to be next to the skin. Because clearly, more happens, I mean, laying on the hand is biblical, and experience shows that more happens when we follow the Bible instruction there. But also, we find that more happens when, if possible, you lay your hands on the part of the body which is sick. And I know there may be practical circumstances sometimes when that's not possible if you have vast numbers of people in the church. But I somehow rather regret it when the laying hands is just limited to the head and not on the bad knee.
1: Please turn your cassette over at this point.